a series that we've been calling Sin and Grace. And what we wanted to do was, these are two of the biggest theological topics in the Christian tradition. And a lot of times sin especially has this sort of weight attached to it, this guilt and this shame. And what we wanted to do is really open that up and have a conversation with one another and really begin to talk about these in ways that were not shameful, we're not guilt-ridden, but ways that really helped us to see the beauty of these. And so what we've kind of started to do is name these definitions. And what we found that's absolutely beautiful is that Christianity gives us stories instead of just straight definitions. And in these stories, it begins to open us to these reality of sin and this reality of grace. And so we've defined them throughout the weeks, and we're going to keep going on our series today. And I've been so excited. Um, I've been so thankful for your feedback and for the way we're engaging this incredibly large, huge topic as a family. So that's been great. So join me in prayer. God, thank you um, for this moment together. Thank you for music. Thank you for prayers. Thank you for community. Thank you that we can ask deep questions and be challenged by you as well. God, I ask that you would open the ears of our hearts, that you would inspire us today, that this would be a transformative moment in our lives. It's in your name that everyone said, amen. Last year, my favorite band, The National, came to Denver. And of course, Stacy and I got tickets, and we're sitting like three rows from the front, and the first song starts, and it starts to drizzle rain outside. And I'm like, oh no. But The National did not disappoint. Halfway through the set, uh, it's pouring rain, and they just kept on pushing through it. And halfway through their set, the drummer kicks off into this incredible, amazing, upbeat drum solo. And as he is pounding on the drums, it's almost as if uh, it, the song is meant to like grab your heart and just pull it out of your chest. And this drum is beating, and, and it's making you think that this song, right away from the very first drum beat, is going to be about the most important things. This song is going to say something meaningful. And then the lead singer, who has this way of being laid back but very controlled, almost like he, he sings with an urgency but a laid backness, and he bursts into this first chorus graceless. Is there a powder to erase this? Is it dissolvable and tasteless? You can't imagine how I hate this. Graceless. And this beautiful, somber tone of this song, go back please, thank you. Um, This beautiful, somber song starts and, and you wonder, all these questions start rolling through your mind, like, it, what's going on in his life? Is he the one who's graceless? What is he going through? What is he facing? But the lyrics and the way he writes them, he's always making you think other things, like, is he talking about what it means to live in L.A., where he's from, with this extreme wealth on one side and this poverty on the other side, with traffic all around him, or is... He talking about what it means to be in this American life with this consumption society and this lack of community everywhere, with poverty and homelessness, with this, these problems in our society of racial tensions everywhere, graceless. And he starts in this beautiful song to name, or is he talking about the world and the gracelessness of the world, HIV epidemics and poverty in the Southern Hemisphere that's out of control and Syrian refugees that don't have homes graceless. So he raises in this beautiful beginning with this drumbeat that's pounding this incredible idea of sin, 
This idea of the gracelessness that sometimes exists in our own human hearts. The way we treat one another, the way systems and structures can treat one another. Graceless. And then he goes, he sings this word as the song moves forward. I'm trying, but I'm graceless. I don't have a sunny side to face this. And there's this like crunch in your soul right now at the song, but there's this upbeat drum solo that you're like, something is coming, some, some shimmering light of hope. And finally, as the song sort of comes, this beautiful climax, he offers us what I think is some very hopeful lines. He says this, just let me hear your voice. Just let me listen. All my thoughts of you, bullets through, rocking through, come apart at the seams. And he invokes God. And he talks about how everything he thought of God is changed and everything he wants to think about God comes undone. And isn't that just like us when we look at the, the realities of sin in the world? There's this coming apart of what we think about God. There's this, how do we know what God is? And there's this doubt that pervades in us, this gracelessness. But there's a sense of hope because just let me hear your voice. Just let me hear that hope is coming. And then he busts into this final line. Now I know what dying means. And as you know, the heart of the gospel is about death and life. And oftentimes in our life, when great breakthroughs happen, we have to go through the worst, the death, in order to find new life. So the song brings, this, brings us to this irony that it is in death we find life. It's in sin that we find grace. And these are the paradoxes of what it means to be Christian. But he has that refrain, listen, listen. And I thought this week about that Christianity speaks Christianity is speaking to us about the heartbeat of what it means to be human. Christianity speaks to us about sin and about grace. Christianity speaks best through stories. And these stories somehow have this way of grabbing a hold of our hearts and pulling us into new ways of seeing our lives in the world. Because with a story, it's not easy to explain it away. A story works on your heart slowly, and you think about it, and you wrestle it around in your mind, and it turns you upside down. And somehow in the midst of that story, you find life. You find grace. Today, I want to tell you one of the most transformative stories in the entire Bible, one of the greatest stories of sin and grace ever told. It was an early morning, and Jesus was just outside the temple in Jerusalem teaching. All of a sudden, in the near distant, there were yells, and there were screams. And this angry mob, this crowd, came to Jesus, and they were a ragtag crew of people, some religious leaders, some peasants, a mix of political leaders, and they brought before Jesus a woman half-dressed, and in this moment, the, some of the religious leaders stand before Jesus and they say to him, this woman was caught in the act of adultery and the Mosaic law tells us we should stone her. What do you say? And you see these men with stones in their hands with an anger and a pain and there's more shouts and screaming. And Jesus does something fascinating. He kneels down on the ground and with his finger, he scribbles into that dusty ground in Jerusalem. Their loudness all of a sudden becomes quiet, to which he stands and says, if there's anyone without sin, let them throw the first stone. So all of a sudden, Jesus speaks this one simple sentence, 
And all the loudness, all the yelling of this mob turns quiet. And what's fascinating about this is that there's two things that Jesus had this, had this suspicion that this is not, there's a question underneath their questions. Jesus knew, first of all, there's some suspect things in the story, like there would always be a witness that would be brought forward in a true Mosaic legal case. There's no witnesses. And then secondly, thank goodness the Mosaic law says this. Next slide. It says, if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. The men are on the hook here too. Can I get an amen this morning? <laughs> and so this story shows us that they're trying to trap Jesus. Once again, this theme comes up in the gospel, and we know that. What we know is that in the Mosaic Law, it was about a man and a woman's wrong, not just this poor woman who's been shamed and pulled out from her house and is standing before Jesus right now. So Jesus' question, if anyone does not have sin, let him throw the first stone. It brings the crowd to utter silence. And then the seconds turn into minutes and you hear all of a sudden this thump, thump, thump. And echoing off the Jerusalem walls is stone after stone after stone. Thump, thump, thump. And then Jesus, once again, bows down and scribbles in the sand as the thumps continue. And then all of a sudden, he looks up and it's only him and the women that are left, and this woman that's left. And he says, does no one condemn you? And she says, no. Next slide. Um, and then, he, and then he says this incredible word, go your way and from now on do not sin again. This grace to her, this incredible grace. So this story is a story of sin and grace. And what fascinates me are three things about it. Three things fascinate me and one thing astonishes me. So the first thing that fascinates me about the story is that Jesus' question uh, let anyone who is without sin slide. Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. With one question, he cuts right to the human heart of everything. With one question, with one comment, he, he, he um, calls out the human condition that all of us understand what gracelessness is about. All of us live with sin. All of us have done things to hurt one another. Not our highest moments in life, but no one lives without the reality of human sin. So Jesus, with this one comment, puts us all on a level playing field. There's no one that gets to be greater or holier or mightier than another. We're all in this human condition together. We've all experienced gracelessness. Uh, I love what Christer Stendhal, a biblical scholar, says. He says, sin is the sand that gets into the machine. And if you've ever been to the beach, you know this is true, or to a lake, that sand gets everywhere, between your toes, behind your ears, in your hair, everywhere, everywhere in your car, everywhere in your swimsuit, sand is everywhere. And so sin is the sand in the machine, the sand that gets into us. And what's important about this way of thinking about sin is that sin is outside of us and gets into us, not inside of us that goes out. So it's this sin, this sand that we deal with all the time. The Bible talks about it, in other words, in this way. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
And then it has a poet, poetic way of saying it in Isaiah, all we like sheep have gone astray, we all have turned to our own way. And at our very worst, human beings have this gracelessness that can pervade our life. So that I've taken you to the very lowest of lows, I'm going to try to bring it up a bit. And uh, the second thing that fascinates me about this story is Jesus' actions. So this angry, loud mob declares, um, what should we do with this woman? Drags her out. And Jesus doesn't reply to them. He goes to the ground and he scribbles something. And people have made a huge deal about what did he write on the ground? What did he write on the ground? There's been books and books written on what did he write? But the significance is not what he wrote. It's that he wrote. He responds to their verbal action with nonverbal action. And I learned that in ancient Mediterranean culture, when you respond to a verbal attack with a nonverbal attack, what it means is, I see you are trying to trap me and I will not engage you. It's an act of defiance. So their sin, their blaming and shaming of this woman, their overlooking of their own behaviors um, is loud. And it's, a, it's asking Jesus to comply, to, to allow us to throw stones at her. But his response is silent, a silent defiance. And so isn't it true that sin is this loud compliance? It's this loud, and we know a lot about mob mentality and what happens in American history when mobs get together and they rally. This is a mob doing its worst on this poor, shamed woman. But grace, grace is this silent defiance. Grace is something that says no to any person being dehumanized. So then the third thing that fascinates me about this is the last statement. The last statement that um, Jesus says, um, and you're going to switch the slide, and he basically says right here, go your way, and from now on, do not sin. And this is, um, this is one of those phrases a little bit hard to translate in Greek. It's much simpler. It's much to the point. It's, it's basically saying, your life is brand new. Start again. Go. Your life is brand new. Jesus offers this woman this word of grace, this word that your life is not defined by all the, the sand that gets in you. Your life is brand new. Go from here. So three things that just fascinate me. The, the calling out that all of us are hum, in humanity, in this human sin together. The... Um, the action of Jesus uh, reminding us that, that grace is this silent defiance. And then lastly, the, um, this idea that, that, um, that grace, which grace is a choice. And so you see um, in this woman's life that it's not only this one moment, you know, go and sin no more. Like, who would ever do that, right? I mean, this is, if the sand is a part of the system, that grace is an everyday choice. Will we live gracefully? Will we treat others with love and respect? Will we correct our behaviors when we start getting off? Grace is this choice, this everyday choice that Jesus invites us to again and again and again. So those are the three things that fascinate me. But when we sort of pull back on the story and think about it as a whole, there's one thing that absolutely astonishes me. And it's this, that grace means God is for us. That this story is all about God being for us. God is for us. Uh, when, when, God, when Jesus says, if anyone 
is without sin, cast the first stone. When he calls humanity to it, and then when he calls this woman and gives her honor and says, go and sin no more, what he is saying is that grace is for everyone. Grace is for those who accuse people, and grace is for those accused. Grace is for the angry mob, and grace is for the shamed woman. Grace is for the sorrowful, grace for the hopeful. Grace is for everyone. And this message in this story is this triumphant ringing clear because with one word, Jesus stops what could have been a tragedy in front of the temple in Jerusalem. With one word, Jesus says, God's grace means God is for everyone. That this love is so big. And in this moment and in this story, this story that echoes to us through the centuries and will continue to go on, it says that grace is for us. Grace is for you. And whatever you're going through and whatever you've been, whether you've been on the side of the accuser or you are the accused, grace is for you. And this is the beautiful message that sin is only the sand that gets in the system, but grace is like water. So sin is the sand and grace is the water. And it comes again and again and again. Next slide. Because it tells us in Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace, you are being saved through faith. And this is your, not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Grace means God is for you again and again and again, taking off all the sand that life offers you. I search every train station. I call for you in the garden. I sing for you in bars. I cry behind the oak tree. I know we have our differences. My words can seem so distant. Grace in the design. I remember your lips, the shape of your face pressed up against mine. My love, you're a sun catcher. Marigold the fields, supernova in the sky. Grace in the design. You're fond of hiding, and I'm afraid you're gone. Won't you, like a sea turtle, come home, race home, grace in the design. And when you build a pyramid, I know the blueprint. I know the struggles. I climb the precipice, my body for kinship, elixir of humankind, grace in the design. My stone is a trailhead, pathway of paradox, gift of death and gift of life. And sin is a bag of rocks, better left behind. Grace in the design. The sun shines for you. My daughter, my son, fancy crowns made for you. Eat at my table. Grace in the design. Dance in my meadows and rest with the wildflowers and explore starry horizons. The end is the beginning. Flowers of perennial beauty and stars with infinite glow. Your heart will never die. Your heart will never die. Your life is found in mine. Grace in the design. Matt Berninger, the lead singer for the national, burst into this, graceless. Is there a powder to erase this? Is it dissolvable and tasteless? You can't imagine how I hate this, graceless. And Christianity speaks that the remedy for the gracelessness 
is grace itself. Love on top of love, a gift on top of a gift. Grace is in the design of being human. So I want to invite you this morning on whatever side you feel you've been. Maybe you've been on both sides of the accused and the accuser. I want to invite you to um, hold and to receive the very truth that God's grace means that God is for you. And whatever you're struggling with, and whatever lies ahead of you, and whatever you're trying to heal from, would you just simply take a moment and hold out your palms in front of you and receive the mystery of it all, that God's grace is for you. And would you make a commitment right here that whatever you face this week, when things get feeling spinning out of control, that you will come back and place your palms open and say, grace in the design. And you will receive again this grace, this truth that God is for us.